Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you guys. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Blue Ridge. I want to welcome those of you that are with us for the first time and say hello to our online campus. And if I can, I'm just going to do a quick shout out to our online host. Those are the folks that make that service possible each week. We have two platforms, Facebook and our website, and they host those. It's a great way to serve from the comfort of your home, but we really appreciate our online host. And and how about that uh, online welcome? That's Cody Miller. Cody is our new groups pastor, even though he doesn't know he works at this church. He really does. And, uh, you know, Matt kind of explained last week, he's more in a volunteer role now. He works with our video team. He speaks for me when I need him to, but he's pursuing a business he started uh, before COVID and it's doing great. But Cody moved here with his wife, Chelsea, their two kids, Clayton and Cooper from Texas. They're originally from South Carolina. So if you see him in the lobby or his family, I want you to give him a big New River Valley welcome and how glad we are that they're here. And listen, if you forget his name or his spouse's name, just guess something with a C, all right? Because you'll be close enough. They'll be fine with it. But we're really glad that he's joined us. So I mentioned Matt. Matt last week kicked off this series written in stone for us. And I think he did an incredible job as we're going to go back and we're going to look at the Old Testament. And we're digging into the Ten Commandments and we're looking at the applicability in our lives. And then he talked about the first commandment, how God desires to be first place in our life. If you had to summarize that, that's what it is. God wants to be number one. Now, something interesting about the Ten Commandments, you could take them and you could give them to anybody in the world, regardless of their faith, regardless of the religious background or upbringing. They could be completely atheist or agnostic. And I think most people in the world would agree that they're great moral principles, right? No matter where they're at with their faith, they would agree that, hey, these are good things for us to keep. These are good rules and commandments for us to follow. It's a good compass, if you will, for our life. But for those that are Christ followers, and I know that's not everybody that joins us on a Sunday, but for those of us that do follow Christ, we see the commandments as having an even greater significance. That's why we're going to put so much effort into this series. We really see these commandments as a reflection of God's character, right? Because they show us, hey, this is what's important to God. This is what God's like. This is what God values. And so it's a reflection of God's character, but at the same time, they can be a reflection of our character, right? We can look at those 10 commandments and we know I'm I'm never going to achieve those. And I can can get some of them right, but I'm never going to achieve those all the time. And it points us to Christ. I mean, that's why Jesus came, right? To do for us what we couldn't do ourselves, to, to pardon us, to forgive us from our sins, And we also learned that they're not just rules. God's not just this, all right, you follow these rules. Uh, You know, he establishes the relationship with us first. He didn't just give those rules to the Israelites and say, follow these, 
What did he do? He established the relationship with them first. He said, I'm your God and you are my people. And then the loving guidelines were put in place. Well, isn't that the way that it works with Christ? So many of us are raised and and, and beat over the head with the scripture and said, you got to stop doing this and you got to start doing this and you got to follow this rule and you got to do this. And then maybe then Christ will love you enough you can have a relationship with him. That's not how it works. He wants the relationship with us first, right? He invites us into that relationship. It's our choice. But once we have that, we learn and we understand the loving guidelines he's put in place And because we love what Christ has done for us and we love him, we're obedient to his commands. And so that first one is simply to put God first place in our life. Because if, and if the reason it's first, if we can get that part right, guess what? Everything else gets a lot easier, including the 10 commandments. All the things in our life start to flow better when we can put the Lord first. So if you're ready, we will jump in to the second commandment. Again, all of these are found in Exodus 20. If you want to go back and review them or look at them. But here's the second commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. So we kind of know the gist of this commandment. You know, we shouldn't worship idols. We shouldn't have false idols. God wants our focus. And what we're going to learn really what this commandment's telling us overall, we shouldn't reduce God in any way in our life. Now, me just reading through that pretty quickly you know, you would think, well, isn't God just kind of repeating himself? You know, isn't he kind of just reiterating the first commandment? But again, the first commandment is about looking to him and only him for hope and healing and security and salvation, putting him number one in our life, following him and only him. But this second commandment is about making sure that we don't reduce him in any way or, or bring him down to our level. He's essentially saying, I want to be your one and only God. I don't want you to have anything in addition to me. I'm going to worship this idol and I'm going to have this idol. And I also don't want you to, you know, try to make any monument or statue or idol that represents me either. And the importance of that, if you go back and look at the Israelites, you know, when they came out of slavery, They're used to idol worship. That's all they saw. And they needed something that they could worship, right? They needed something they could see and they could touch and they could feel. And so God's clarifying this for them. And if you think about it, it makes sense because when Moses, and that wasn't Moses in the video, just, I'm just kidding. Moses is up on Mount Sinai He's getting all this instruction from the Lord about how they're to live and and how to handle this and how to handle that. And what were the Israelite people doing down below? They were complaining that they didn't have anything to worship. Let's look at that. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses 
to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't understand what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So God's getting, or Moses is getting direction from God for the people. They get so impatient, they start whining and sniveling to Aaron. And then what does Aaron do? He makes them a golden calf, right, for them to worship. And I think that's what God's saying. Don't, don't try to create something that represents me because I'm unrepresentable. So it's about not bringing God down to something we can comprehend, right? Not reducing him down to our level where we can understandable, understand him, not making him controllable or manageable or whatever. He doesn't want us to just isolate him to a box and say, okay, this is who God is, and I've, I've got God all figured out, because we can't wrap our minds around who God is. No matter how much you progress in your faith, no matter how much you understand the Scripture, no matter how spiritual you are, we will never fully understand God. So that's our first learning, learning number one. God is much bigger than anything we can imagine. He says, don't reduce me to a location because I'm everywhere. You know, don't reduce me to something that's fixed because I'm alive and I'm powerful and I'm everywhere. Don't reduce me to something you can control or you think you can control because I'm unmanageable. God doesn't want us to take him out of first place in the center of our life and just put him on the side somewhere. He doesn't want us to confine him to a day of the week or just on Sundays or to a building or a statue or, you know, whatever, because he's infinite. And I think that's what we've got to understand. Though we try to process and we try to understand the magnitude of God, we never will. He's beyond our comprehension. And the problem sometimes if we have some physical representation of God, okay, the church is God. That's where I go, you know, and this is all about God. God's not involved in the rest of my week. You know, it limits God when we reduce him to something, whether it be an idol, whether it be a physical image, a mental image, we reduce God. We hide more about God when we do that than we reveal about God. Think about it. We could talk about God's judgment. And we could just spend all day talking about God's judgment. But if we did that, if we revealed God's judgment, it would conceal his grace, right? So you say, all right, he's a judgmental God. It hides more about God than, than it reveals. Or if we revealed God's power in his majesty, it hides his humility, right? It hides his humanity. So God's simply saying, don't try to narrow my greatness down to anything. Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. Familiar verse to some of you. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Of course, in our culture... We probably don't reduce God to a physical image as much as maybe they did in this culture. You know, a physical image for us to worship. But here's what we do. 
in our culture. And it's learning number two. We reduce God to a mental image that we can manage in our mind. Not necessarily this physical image, but we create this image of God in our mind that we can manage. In other words, we make him controllable. This is what God's like in our head. We reduce him down to something that we can handle, that we can comprehend. We don't ever think of this commandment this way. We just think, well, if I don't have a, a, a statue on my desk, if I don't have, you know, an idol, a sports figure, an actress, an actor that I'm worshiping, you know, then I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't do that. But we reduce God all the time in our minds. That's making a mental image that we can handle. I mean, look at culture and look at how we talk about God and we'll say things like, well, my God would never do this or my God would never do that. My God would never send somebody to hell. My God would never give somebody cancer or make them sick. My God is fine with the way I'm living my life and, and with what I'm doing. My God, this, my God, that. What we're doing is we're reducing God to something that we like and that we can control. We tend to make God, too, the same as we are, right? If we're fun-loving, God's fun-loving. If we're judgmental and serious, God's judgmental and serious. We just tend to make him exactly like we are. Oh, God loves the people that I love, and he hates the people I hate. Am I striking a nerve with you? We all do this. It's making that mental image of who God is. And then we, we make God line up with our beliefs, right? We make God line up with whatever our lifestyle is at the time. Then as we age and we progress in life, and as our lifestyle starts to change and our beliefs start to change, what do we do? We change our God right along with it. The biggest is, I think, we tend to think God views people the same way that we do. We just have a tendency to, to really to make God a better version of ourselves, right? He's like us, but he's just better than us. And I think that's what God's saying. This is, this is wrong, making this mental image of who he is. He's just saying, don't reduce me. Don't Reduce me to something you can understand. Pursue, if you will, an accurate view of who I am. Don't ever underestimate me. I think a lot of times we reduce God to something we can handle when life's not going our way, right? Or when we're having problems or difficulty or we're sick or there's turmoil. It's like, why would God do this? Or why would God do that? We start to label God. And we start to draw conclusions about who God is based on what we're, doing, what we're going through. We don't ever want to try to capture an infinite God in our finite minds. Now, you've heard of a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Job. We've talked about Job before. Uh, Job is referred to in a lot of churches and, and groups and, and among Christians as one of the greats of the great, right? That, that's how we know Job, he's a hero, if you will, of the faith. And that's because of the way the Bible describes Job. And I want to read it to you, Job 1.1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. You read that and you think, ah, Job's perfect. But what isn't discussed a lot 
in church is how Job tried to capture an infinite God in his finite mind. And because Job had so much turmoil, he lost his family, he lost his land, he lost his livestock, he lost his financial stats, he lost friends, he lost everything. And because of these things that was, were happening to Job, he started to draw pictures and conclusions about who God was based on his personal experiences. And listen, God responded to him. Job 38, verses 1 through 3, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And you keep reading, and God goes on to ask Job some really difficult questions because he's drawn this conclusion, okay, this is who God is. Job 38, verses 4 through 7, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid the cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And listen, from there, God goes on to pound Job with question after question after question for like three and a half chapters. And essentially what God's saying is, you have no clue about me, Job. You can't comprehend who I am. And you and I do this all the time. We portray God as this mental image that we have in order to try to control him, in order to try to understand him. Isaiah 40, 18 says, to whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? So I think our job and our takeaway is to know that we don't want to have these other idols we listen, listen to or look to for anything. We, we, not, we need to look to God, but also we don't want to create an image of God, a physical or mental image that limits him. And so what we got to do is we got to ask, you know, where have I done that? Where have I created this image of God that's not reality? We should ask ourselves that question. Where's God a more reflection of my own personality and who I am and the way I see life than reality? So learning number three, we don't determine what God is like. We discover it. We discover what God's like. God's saying, don't worship me as you imagine me to be or as you hope and pray for me to be. Worship me as I reveal myself to you. And he reveals himself through his word, through Sundays, through people, through love, through prayer, through circumstances. He's saying, get an accurate picture of who I am to worship. And I get, you know, if we didn't have any image of God to worship, it'd be very difficult for us to worship him, Right? But we do have images of God all throughout the Scripture. And who are we to look to to figure out what God's like? His son, Jesus. That's one of the reasons Jesus came, to save us from our sins, to bridge that gap between us and God, but to reveal to us what God's like and who God is. Look at Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So that means... The more I look at the life of Jesus, the more I understand about God. 
The more I understand the teachings of Jesus and the principles of Jesus, the more I understand about God. So if you were going to summarize this, just summarize it, don't reduce God in any way. You know, to some mental image we've come up with or some physical representation. Put him first place in your life. That's the first one. And the second one is don't reduce him. God wants us to worship him and only him. All right, let's jump into the third commandment. I know I, I threw a lot at you, but here's the third commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, most of us, whether you grew up in church or not, we learned this commandment probably in elementary school. Probably came home and said something we shouldn't have said, right? We learned that if you hurt yourself, if you have an accident, you make a mistake, you miss your turn off the interstate, don't shout out God's name or his son's name followed by a curse word, right? That big concrete structure that holds all the water back to make Clater Lake, don't use God's name followed by that word, damn, right? That's what we learned. That's what this, ten, this commandment was all about. Don't shout out God's name in anger or frustration when you mess up. And which is kind of funny when you think about it because here's God giving these 10 commandments to to lead and guide people, and he says, put me first, don't have any idols, don't reduce me in any way, and hey, if you get frustrated, do not use my name along with the cuss word. That's what we've reduced this commandment to, but it's deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. Now, most certainly, we need to honor God's name and respect God's name, and we shouldn't use God's name along with cursing, right? out of anger and frustration, because what does that do? It belittles God, and it reduces God to our level. But at the heart, I think, of this commandment, it means God is saying, don't associate my name with anything that I'm not associated with. I think that's the best way to think about it. Don't associate my name with anything I'm not associated with. And that's easy for us to understand. God's protective of his name. We're protective of our name. You don't want your name associated with something you're not associated with, right? You don't want your name associated with your past if you've moved past your past. You don't want your name associated with something that you don't agree with and you don't line up with. God is the same way. He's protective of his name because it represents everything of who he is. It's all tied up in his name. And especially to a lost and dying world that doesn't have a relationship with the son. His name represents everything. It's his reputation. It's his, it's his character. It's his authority. It's his majesty. All of that's tied up in his name, so he's protective of it. So don't associate my name with anything I'm not associated with. Think about names and how important they are. I could say a name of a famous person and you're instantly going to think things about that person. Or your neighbor, I could say your neighbor's name and you're going to think things about your neighbor. Some of those things are really good. Others, maybe not so good, right? Because it wraps up everything about that person is in their name. I could say the name Adolf Hitler and you probably don't have really good thoughts, 
going on right now about his character, his reputation. Or I could say Mother Teresa. Ah, then you feel better. You got good thoughts about Mother Teresa. Oh, she was awesome. She was a saint. She did this. She did that. Everything is tied up in a name. So God just simply doesn't want us to associate his name with anything he's not associated with. But people do this all the time. Well, how do, how do we do that in culture today? People use God's name and Jesus' name, and they pretend they're super spiritual. But they never deal with their own issues of their heart. That would be a way, right, of using God's name with something he's not associated with. He's not in there. He's not doing anything. They haven't opened their life to me. We can have all these outward symbols and, and go to church and get involved in a group and, and you know, serve. But if we're going home and abusing our wife, if we're not loving our neighbor the way that Christ said to love our neighbor, then we're, we're missing the mark. That can be a way of associating God's name with something he's not associated with. Here's how Isaiah describes a person like this. And this is from the message. I just love the way the message puts it. Isaiah 29, 13. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it because they act like they're worshiping me, but don't mean it. I'm going to step in and shock them awake, astonish them, stand them on their ears. The wise one who had it all figured out will be exposed as fools. The smart people who thought they knew everything will turn out to know nothing. We need to ask, do I do the things that I'm doing for God for show, to impress others, to pretend like I got it all together, or do I take seriously his commands and in his direction to reach the world for Christ and everything I do to honor him and, and to grow his kingdom? And, and we, we should ask that whatever we do, whether we're working, whether we're praying or serving or, or we're being generous or we're inviting people to church or whatever we're doing, they're all great things, but we should ask, am I doing this for God and his kingdom or am I doing it to further my kingdom? Am I doing it for my benefit? Really, when we use God's name just simply to advance ourselves, that's hypocrisy, right? That's spiritual pride. Here's something else we do with God's name. We'll use it for our personal agenda, right? Maybe for financial gain or political gain or accolades, you know, in, a, in the workplace. We'll, we'll talk about God and in you know, we come to church because of all those exterior things. We're not really coming to worship and to connect with him. We got ulterior motives. That's a way of associating God's name with something he's not associated with. Hey, they're not, I'm not in their life. I'm not, I'm not having any impact. Matthew 7, 15 through 16 says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, the way they act. Again, it's just associating God's name with something he's not a part of. How else do we do it? We'll use God's name to try to control people, to get people to do what we want them to do. We'll use the name of God or the name of religion to manipulate people and to get them to do exactly what we want them to do. Another example, we'll use the Bible 
to shame people or to make people feel guilty about wherever they're at in life. And we see this all the time. Churches, denominations, they'll, they'll just call out people, groups of people, because they don't agree with them, they don't align with them. And these are people we got to remember that God loves, that God desires a relationship with just as much as he desires a relationship with me and with you. All kinds of things. If you look back at history, all kinds of things have been done throughout our entire history using God's name as an excuse to justify our actions, to justify our behaviors, and really they had nothing to do with God at all. So that third commandment is saying God is protective of his name. Just like I'm protective of my name, just like you're protective of your name. He just doesn't want it associated with the wrong things, just like you don't want your name associated with the wrong things. What's God want his name associated with? Hope, healing, restoration, salvation. So in summary, we don't reduce God in any way. You know, we tend to think of those physical idols, and I'm worshiping this, and I'm worshiping that, but a lot of times it's the mental idols that we have, the mental images we create. So we don't reduce them in any way, and then we take him seriously. We take his name seriously. It's amazing that God wants to be first place in our life. You know, that verse, well, the second commandment we looked at, and I didn't have time to cover it, but he says that he's a jealous God. Has that ever confused you? Wondering, what do you mean he's a, a jealous God? But when you think about it, that's pretty cool. He's jealous of us, and he desires a relationship with us, right? That's why he sent Jesus to this earth. And, and we can't think of that jealousy the way you and I have jealousy. I'm jealous of what you've got. I, I'm jealous of what you've got now. I, I want it. He's jealous when we give what's rightfully his to somebody else or to something else, right? When we give our love and our devotion and our adoration and our affection and our worship and our honor to anyone other than him. That's what makes him jealous because he wants that relationship with us. So knowing that, knowing these things, evaluate this week those mental images that you have. Where have I created this mental image of God that's not reality? It's not how he's revealed himself to me through his word or through his son or, or through what's going on in my life. And then think about it anytime you use God's name or Jesus' name, that we honor that name. We don't reduce him to our level, right? We don't bring him down, but we don't associate his name either with anything he's not associated with. It goes far beyond what we learned in elementary school. Even though I was a great principal, it's deeper than that. So maybe you're here today or you're watching with our online campus, and you've, you've never had that relationship with Christ. You've never started a relationship with Christ because you're probably like, you know, people look at the, the rules and the regulations and the guidelines of the Bible, and you're like, oh, I got to follow those first. Or some well-meaning Christian told you, you got to obey this, got to obey that, you got to stop doing this, you got to stop doing that. Then you can come to Jesus. Hopefully, you know now that's not how it works. 
God's desires that everyone's saved. He desires that everyone has a relationship with his son. But he came to this earth not only to show us what God's like, but to save us. God is sinless. Us, not so much. Right? We're full of sin. And we've got to bridge that gap. We will never spend eternity with God until we deal with our own sin problem. We can't be good enough. We can't even follow the Ten Commandments. So we have to have somebody pay for our sins. That's what Jesus did. So I want to encourage you as we pray, if you've never invited Christ into your life, why don't you do that today? And if you want to do that, I'll lead you in a prayer when we pray. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for all the commands and guidelines you give us in the Scripture. God, thank you that we can take them years removed and look at them and understand how they apply to our lives in the heart of each one of those commands. Lord, forgive us when we do bring you down to our level. We reduce you to something that we can control. Lord, we're mental thinkers, you know, and we try to, we try to grasp who you are. And we just need to walk away knowing we'll never fully grasp who you are and the magnitude of your love for each of us. Lord, forgive us when we associate your name with things that you're not even associated with. Maybe as we're praying, you're watching from home or you're here and you're ready to say yes to Christ. I'll lead you in a prayer right now to do that. You're not praying out loud. You can if you want, but you're just praying from the quietness of your heart. Just say, Lord, I do know I'm a sinner. And I know that that sin separates me from you. And I want to be forgiven. I want to have a relationship with you. So as best I know how, I'm inviting you into my life. I don't understand a lot about you, but I'm willing to learn. I'm just asking that you lead me through your love and your commitment to me. I've tried to do it on my own and hadn't done a great job. So as best I know how, I'm inviting you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe you're watching or you're here and you've been following Christ for years. Why don't you commit to this week just what we learned today? I'm not going to reduce you, God, to what I can understand. Help me identify those areas. I've made a mental image of you that's not accurate. It's not true or it's much bigger than I've imagined. And that you're not going to associate God's name with something he's not associated with. You're going to protect his name like you protect yours. Lord, your grace, your love, it, it, it blows us away. It's amazing. Why you even put up with us, we can't understand that for sure. But we appreciate it and we love you. Thank you for these people. Lord, thank you for this church. Just what they do each and every day to try to reach people for you. And God, thank you for the other churches around us in our community that are doing great things. Lord, you work in all kinds of churches because it takes all kinds of churches and to reach all kinds of people. And we thank you for them and we pray that whatever their needs are, whatever they're successful at, that you would keep them moving forward and you would provide for them and you would encourage them. 
Thank you for the freedom that we have in this country that we're going to celebrate this week to come in here and worship you freely without persecution. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would do me a favor before you leave, man, on that Church Center app or the QR code, fill out a connection card. If you've got prayer requests to let us know, we've got a prayer team that faithfully prays through those each and every week. If you invited Christ into your life for the first time, would you do me a favor and check that top box? I promise I'm not going to show up on your doorstep in a suit and tie and beat you over the head. I just want to send you something that I think is going to help you on your faith journey, some next right steps for you. And I am so proud of you for making that decision. I hope you have a terrific 4th of July. God bless you guys. Come back and see us next week. Have a good day.